My words are unerring tools of destruction, and I have come unequipped with the ability to disarm them. Chapter 39, page 360, The Raven Boys. Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Navita. And, and we're, we're the, the Raven, Raven Girls. Girls. Welcome to our Raven Cycle Podcast. Where we talk about two dysfunctional adults and their terrible habits of eating crackers and hummus in the car <laughs> and killing people. Also a terrible habit. <laughs> this is episode 14 of our podcast and we'll be covering chapters 39 through 43 of The Raven Boys. We will also be taking a deep dive on the folklore of weather prediction. Woohoo! Super exciting. <laughs> Disclaimers. This is an analysis podcast. We will be discussing the Raven Cycle as a cycle. This means we are spoilerific, so you will have want to have read the books before we start. Uh-huh. We will use pronunciations from the audiobooks and page numbers are referenced from the paperback editions. And a disclaimer from me, this podcast has a teen plus rating. There will be canon levels of adult content, including beep beepity beep beep oh, beep ronin swearing 300 foxway drinking kavinsky lewdness uh i do make a joke about woolly bears <laughs> and hopefully no gray man violence <laughs> all right let's get into the episode let's do this i just wanted to say first that this is the penultimate episode to season one. Such a great word. <laughs> I love the word penultimate. Yes. And we have only one more episode to go for the Raven Boys. And it's been a wild ride. <laughs> it absolutely has. But it has been so much fun. Yes, it has been a ton of fun. So we'll talk a little bit more about what our plans are for the future and what obviously next episode will entail at the end of the podcast today. But I just wanted to acknowledge, yay, yay. episode 14, woo! Alrighty then. So first off is chapter 39, which is a blue point of view chapter. Blue once again comes to a seemingly desolate Monmouth meets with Noah, picks up a disturbing phone call from Gansey's elderly British friend Mallory, and sees the boys dealing with the fallout of everything that's happened over the last few days. Milk and cookies, anyone? Group hug? Something needs to happen for these guys. All right. So this is the second time Blue shows up to Monmouth and thinks that it's empty. This time, though, she knows that Noah's likely around. Mm. And Blue trying to imagine Gansey picking out Monmouth cracks me up. She couldn't picture it. Looking at the pig and deciding it was a great car to drive or Ronan and thinking he was a good friend to have. But somehow it worked because she loved the apartment and Ronan was starting to grow on her. Does Shannon agree? Okay. (laughs) And the car, well, the car she could still live without. Yet she gets a copy of the pig at the end of the books. She does and she's happy about it. Yeah. (laughs) Where does Blue put herself on this list, by the way? Because it's like the place to live. The best friend, the car, Uh the quirky girlfriend. Uh (laughs) She, too, is something that Gansey has picked out inevitably. Yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. And then Blue calls out for Noah and he slowly materializes. She seemed to see his legs first and then the rest of him. Was he always there? Was he called by or attracted to Blue? A little column A, little column B, I think. Yeah. It was hard to make a decision about existence in Noah these days. Mm -hmm. And Blue and Noah's relationship is so sweet. They're Mm -hmm. just so sweet together. 
And the part where uh, she let him pet her hair with his icy fingers. Not so spiky as usual, he said sadly. I didn't get much sleep. I need sleep for quality spikes. I'm mm-hmm. glad to see you. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's just, that's so sweet. They're just so friendly together. Yeah. Blue, of course, was up all night last night with the boys, or at least until midnight when Adam and Ronan left and went to the right. trailer. All of this has happened within a very short amount of time. Right. This is only Saturday afternoon. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in a very short amount of chronological time. Mm -hmm. Noah crossed his arms, then uncrossed them, then put his hands in his pockets. Aha! Ghosts have pockets! (laughs) A question from episode two has been answered! A dozen episodes later. I postulated that ghosts may not have pockets because his hands seem to go less places than other people's. Page 69, the Raven Boys. Uh (laughs) Call back. Yep. The interaction here with Blue telling Noah she doesn't think he was that different when he was alive, yet being unable to reconcile the Noah she knows with a Noah who would have had the Mustang, and Noah saying, I think I was worse then. It's Mm -hmm. like, I feel for Noah here, but I've also had the same thoughts that Blue was having about him. Just who was he really? Right. This also, though, feels like Noah's admitting he was like what Welk thought of him, Mm. or at least kind of like that whole implication of what his sister or mother thought of him like his sister said his mom called him a firecracker and he was always Mm. jumping up on tables and getting into trouble and he drank her birthday schnapps and all that I was going to say I'm sorry I drank your birthday schnapps yeah yeah. (laughs) so I mean he was a different person so Mm -hmm. Blue's not really correct but you know was he a worse person maybe not and Noah says Gansey and Adam are getting Adam's stuff which means that this is happening sort of concurrent with the end of the last chapter. Right. And then Blue's like, move in. I thought he said, wait, Renan went where? <laughs> and I can just, I could see her double take. Yeah. <laughs> And that Ronan going to study is more shocking than Adam changing his mind seems a little, you know, yes, it's funny, but it seems a little flimsy. Mm. The conversation between Blue and Adam, they had it just yesterday afternoon, but so much has happened since then. It feels like months have passed. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just because the podcast is well, no, like, <laughs> Things just move so much faster. In, At like, the end. Yeah. Like it really, everything happens within 24 for hours like the last third of the book right so with lots of pauses and sighs and staring off into the trees noah starts to recount this story and i was like are the trees talking to him are they telling him the events of last night sort of the ley line is he getting the energy through that mm-hmm. and then he knows the details without having been there and what happened right Blue's first thought about being told about Adam is fairly selfish in a way that she wasn't a good enough friend. But really, how many months before Gansey knew? Mm-hmm. How many months before Ronan knew? Because I doubt Adam has ever told a single soul in his life. I agree. That this has happened. Because like that's so much. It's just, yeah. in, it's literally beaten into you. It's just mm-hmm. ingrained in who you are that you don't talk about it. Blue finally getting exactly what was going on with Adam is also kind of heartbreaking because her thought is Adam had no family. 
who would she be without hers? Just like that feeling for him and just being like... Right. Acknowledging mm. that he's by himself. Adam Parrish, Army of One, as is so often said in The Dream Thieves. Mm. Ronan studying in the library was the nicest thing Blue had ever heard of Ronan doing. Yup. But <laughs> but though it's for Adam and not for Gainsey or even for himself. Correct. Yeah, this brings tears to my eyes because how much they all recognize the sacrifices they've made for each other, mm. or at least usually recognize those sacrifices. <laughs> Gainsey. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> We're still a little angry from last episode. <laughs> and the phone rings and Blue had lived too long with the women of 300 Foxway to question Noah's intuition when Noah says, you have to answer the phone. Right. And Noah is leaning pretty heavily on his ghosty powers now that we know what's going on with him. Right. And of course, there's some flickering in and out just because his body's been moved. They're briefly stymied by the locked door of Monmouth, but shouldn't Noah just be able to phase through and unlock it from the other side? Yeah, probably. <laughs> could, he doesn't have to jimmy it from this side. He could just go to the other <laughs> side. Mm-hmm. And on Gansey's desk was a rotary phone, completely in keeping with Gansey's love of the bizarre and barely functional. Okay, blue? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> All right, continue. Yeah, you're right. I think they all love that. Oh, I know. They're all bizarre and barely functional. Every single one of them. Yeah, that's a good assessment. And he probably did have the landline put in just for that phone. Right. I think I agree with her. Yeah. Hashtag old man aesthetic. Oh, oh, he's telling me I drink for that one? Okay, I will. Sure. (laughs) Hmm. I didn't say the whole glass to me. (laughs) The podcast audience doesn't need to know that. I'm teasing. I know. Uh, I'm being overly dramatic for comedic effect. Anyway, they pick up the phone and it's Mallory. And the name interaction cracks me up. Like, right. Blues? Blaze? Blair? Jane? Uh, Jane. Oh, I thought you were saying blue. blue for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Mallory, man. <laughs> yeah, Blue says, I can take a message. This, she felt, was her role in life so far. OMG, I roll. Because you're 16, babe. Like, that's everybody's purpose in life up to... (laughs) What else are you supposed to be doing? (laughs) Mallory's whole way of speaking is amazing, with its wandering parenthetical asides. Uh Uh-huh. And Blue grabs a piece of paper that Gansey had already doodled on. And I find that so endearing that he doodles. So Mallory tells Jane that he and a colleague attempted the ritual to wake the ley line. And it went badly. Like, his colleague lost all his skin badly. Right. Mallory seems kind of calm for that to have happened. More worried about Gansey finding out the gory details because of Gansey's thing about death. Gansey is capital D death. They're sort of inextricable. Yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and Mallory says about the ley lines, they may be magic, they may be science, but they are undoubtedly energy. Mallory chuckled. It was a sound a lot like sucking just the whipped cream off of hot chocolate. Look, if this is the way Maggie thinks chuckles sound, no wonder she hates the word. <laughs> yeah. This is so <laughs> gross. This is right up there with the vacuuming potato salad. Ugh. <laughs> 
Mallory's stopping in the middle of his explanation to be patronizing to Blue. I really feel Blue's like, can we just get on with the explanation, please? Right. <laughs> and I don't even think he's trying to be patronizing to Blue specifically. I don't think he is. It's just really that academics and old guard men. <laughs> like, yeah. for real. Yeah, I think you're right. Mallory explains that he and his friend set up a stone circle and moved the stones around until they got a high energy reading. Seven stones specifically. And now that I'm looking for sevens, I feel like I'm finding them everywhere in the books. Yeah, because at first I thought it was just threes, but now like... Sevens do come up quite a bit. Mm -hmm. That we twiddled them about in position until we had a quite high energy reading in the middle. This is exactly what Adam learns to do from Persephone and Caveswater later. Mm -hmm. Mallory's colleague stepped in the circle and made a joke about losing or shedding his skin, and that's how it happened. And I'd like to know exactly what he said, because it feels like a monkey's paw kind of thing. Like, mm -hmm. Be careful what you wish for. Mm -hmm. I don't know that he would... Well, you know, I kind of feel like he probably, if you had that electrical kind of tickle feeling, mm -hmm. like you ever been in like a real electrical storm mm -hmm. where your skin just is crawling and it kind of feels like, oh, I could scratch my skin off. Mm -hmm. so that's for some reason I keep thinking of like someone stepping in the middle of this stone circle and getting that electrical ozone hair right. standing up all over your body and kind of making an offhanded joke about oh my skin feels like it could just be torn right off mm -hmm. and then <laughs> yeah that that sounds more like yeah yeah and then Mallory says, you know how young people are. Gansey himself can be quite one for the levity. I feel like I should reverse drink for Mallory calling Gansey a young person. Because as we know, Mallory is the, the oldest. oldest. <laughs> and apparently these things are quite literal. As literal as Ronin, Adam muses about Cave's Water later, which is just a huge goddamn blinking spoiler mm -hmm. sign on page 382. And then she hangs up the phone with Mallory and she hears some noise outside of the boys coming back and she hears a door slam. As usual, I wish I had some actual architectural plans of Monmouth. Mm hmm she heard the door clap shut on the first floor and feet stomping up the stairs. Yet the last time she was here, she made it very clear she had never seen the first floor. <laughs> so if you have to go through the front door to the yeah. first floor to go up the stairs, I always picture... Anyway, like, it's just one of those things. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> Nobody reads the books as closely as you do, Navita. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, they do. There are fans uh -huh. that read them just as closely. <laughs> Otherwise, they wouldn't be listening to us. This is true. <laughs> so Gansey arrives, having been fighting with Adam, and Blue sees him pull a cordial smile from somewhere and wonders why Gansey would have had to learn to do that. And I'm thinking, as a politician's son, that makes 100% sense to me because he was in a constant spotlight. She thinks, why a boy with a life as untroubled as Gansey's would have needed to learn how to build such a swift and convincing false front of happiness was beyond her. First, he hasn't had an untroubled life at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and second, we've discussed at some length how Gansey has been taught repress emotions by his family. Right. Gansey's life just looks untroubled. Correct. Because especially because from looking white, at it, rich dude. Yeah. <laughs> white sister. Especially rich looking dude. at it as someone not in the upper class seeing it is like because money makes everything better, right? Right. You know. At least you know. <laughs> I mean, it does, but <laughs> it makes you not have to worry about money. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway, so Noah's voice and nothing more manifested at Blue's ear. A cold, cold whisper. They fought. Mm -hmm. Noah sees, has seen this before. He knows without being told. Mm-hmm. And Ronan bent double under Adam's duffel. Man, my heart clenches because everyone <laughs> thinks Ronan won't do a damned thing for anyone. And it's just not mm-hmm. true. Adam's transformer. I'm like, aw, yay, transformers. <laughs> and also a note, the police car transformer is called Barricade. And mm-hmm. that feels somehow appropriate for Adam. Right. And I was thinking it was also possibly a subtle callback to the events of the oh, previous probably. night. Probably, yeah. Adam looked at Blue, unsmiling, as if he didn't really see her. Then he replies after a marked gap. Adam's in shock, disconnected, not inhabiting his body. Mm-hmm. Ronan, ha, 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 in time with his trudging feet. (laughs) He's being mocking, but why? Is it the tension in Adam? Is it the exchange between Blue and Adam? Is it deflection of the tension in the room in general? It could be any or all of these things. And then the four of them split again like they did in Caves Water with Gansey and Blue in one room and Ronan and Adam leaving. Mm. And Blue pulls out the note and says, this guy called. The way she'd written it made it look like the doodled cat was calling it out. Yeah. I find this adorable. Mm-hmm. And then the apartment felt empty without the others. Like they'd gone into another world instead of another room. And my thought was Gansey needs them. But you pointed out, remember, this is Blue's, Blue's point, point of, of view. view. Right. I think it's just it's so obvious the disconnect between Adam and Gansey right now. Right. That having Adam be so distant and disconnected probably does feel really uncomfortable for mm-hmm. them. Gansey kicks off his shoes and under his breath he said, Yeehaw. <laughs> He must say this often enough that it's become a running joke between him and Adam in The Raven King. Gansey, you nerd. Uh Uh-huh. And then Blue, you seem upset. Gansey, do I? (laughs) It's more deflection. (sighs) Absolutely. And then Gansey throws himself onto the bed and mutters into his sheets. What now? Blue says, with a lot less pillow in your mouth this time. This is so funny to me. It's like I can just see it. I can totally see it. Like he's so dejected. And he's just done. He's just like yeah. it's been a rough couple of days. Oh god, yes. I mean, he still has a broken thumb. BT uh-huh. does. <laughs> like he spent all night in the hospital last night. And the night before. <laughs> well, no, it's the same night. He went the- to the hospital, went to 300 Fox Way. They split up. He went to Monmouth. Ronan and Adam went to the oh, trailer. Oh, Gansey yeah. had to take Adam to the hospital. It's the oh, same my gosh. night. He wow. went to the hospital twice in the same night. Once for himself and, and once, once for, for Adam. Adam. Holy cow. Yeah. Like, <laughs> really, it all has happened all in 24 hours. <sighs> And then Gansey looks up at Blue and says, My words are unerring tools of destruction, and I've come unequipped to disarm them. Can you believe I'm only alive because Noah died? What a fine sacrifice that was, and what a fine contribution to the world I am. And I'm like, maybe you're right, Gansey, but take the next step and figure out what you can do and what you can give to be a fine contribution to the world, to make it worth it. 
Right. And also, you're 16 or 17? 16 at this point. 17. 17. And it's like your contribution to the world right now is going to school and learning and finishing your education. Right. Gansey is deep into his pity party. Uh He may even provide hats and snacks to this pity party (laughs) right now. Also, you're basically saying here what I said to Blue above when she was being (laughs) self-pitying. That's true. Yeah. Gansey says, so Mallory thinks it's a bad idea to wake the ley line? Of course he does. I enjoy dead ends immensely. Do you though, Gansey? No. Do you? He's being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. And Blue thinks to herself, she'd never seen anything like the real Gansey for so long at one time. It was too bad he had to be miserable to make it happen. So what is it about this side of Gansey that she finds appealing? The vulnerability? Yeah, it's the slip of the mask. Mm -hmm. She actually tells him, I like you better this way, which ugh, for some, Uh and then for some reason, admitting this made her face go hot right away. Ugh. (laughs) Crushed and broken, just the way women like him. Ugh! (laughs) All right, okay, maybe I'm called out a little bit on that last one. Thanks, G. (laughs) I do kind of like him crushed and broken. (laughs) Yeah, you kind of (laughs) do. Oh, fuck! (laughs) (laughs) Called out by Shannon. So Gansey says waking the ley line is off because it's too risky. And Blue says, I thought you said you needed to find Glendower. And Gansey says, I do. They don't. I'm like, but this isn't just about Glendower now. And I'm like, they don't? Since when? Gansey is once again taking the options out of anyone else's hands. And it's no wonder that Adam rebelled. Mm -hmm. It's glad to know the king has made his unilateral decisions on this. Uh Blue says Mallory didn't want her to tell Gansey about how the man was hurt. And he starts, he still remembers when I... Mm, Never mind. When Gansey used to have screaming, thrashing recreations of his own death in the middle of a field is likely what he's referencing. Mm -hmm. And can you imagine that happening in the middle of a political fundraiser? (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) Staring was easier when their faces were upside down to each other. Ronan, if you spit blue, it'll land right in his eye. (laughs) (laughs) Ronan calls blue blue. From him right now, it almost seems like a form of affection. It kind of does. Mm -hmm. Gansey glances at Adam and away again as quickly while he guiltily scoots as far away from Blue as possible. (laughs) Adam is so observant about everything, Gansey. Like, you're not hiding anything Mm -hmm. here. Adam and Ronan both tell Gansey that they don't care about the risk. And Gansey says, you have nothing to lose, Gansey said, pointing at Adam. He looked at Ronan, and you don't care whether you live or die. That makes you both bad judges. Way to use your friend's trauma against them, Gansey. Like, Jesus fucking Christ. Uh Uh-huh. You have nothing to gain, Blue pointed out, and that makes you an equally bad judge. Right on, Blue. Yeah, my comment was astute. And Adam says, we don't have time to find another way, Adam insisted. And yet Adam finds another way for a given definition of such. And all trace of vulnerability had vanished from Gansey's countenance. 
he wants to control this and protect everyone, but mainly just control. Yeah. Gansey says, find me a way to do it without hurting someone. He basically charges Adam with doing exactly what Adam does using his sense of command. Mm -hmm. Adam mentions Persephone again. Persephone said someone will wake the ley line in just a few days. Adam and his mentor have an instant connection that is so subtly woven in the beginning of these books. Uh Uh-huh. I love the two of them together. It's such, it's really cool. It's just really interesting in this read through looking for it, how Adam never mentions any of the other ladies at 300 Bucks Way. But he talks about Persephone a lot. He talks about Persephone a lot. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. There was something unfamiliar in Adam's expression, something that made Blue think she didn't know him at all. Caves water before he's caves water. Yeah, I also think that he just has depths. Uh-huh. He doesn't show people because he can't. Right. And Blue thinks of the reading, and then she thinks, my mother is very good at what she does. Right. Sometimes Adam says, I don't know how you live with yourself. Mm -hmm. This is dramatic irony, given that we, the audience, know that he, meaning Gansey, is not supposed to live at all. Mm -hmm. As a question, how do we feel about this line as an ending to the chapter? Because where does it put the audience in relation to Adam? Hmm. Like, to me, it really sets up a very oppositional relationship between Gansey and Adam. Yeah, I think it kind of leans toward that. Mm -hmm. And then Maggie has said in reference to some readers not really liking Adam very much. Plus, I know a lot of readers thought for two books that I was going to turn him into Voldemort, (laughs) which puts a damper on a lot of budding affection. (laughs) All right. Moving on to chapter 40, which is a Welk POV chapter. Chapter 40 as a Rick Riordan title. Welk and Neve go on the worst date ever. (laughs) All right. So what is the purpose of this chapter? How does it affect (laughs) the pacing of the books? Mm -hmm. Because I admit, I almost skipped it completely. It feels like one of those cutaway scenes in a TV show that just serves to remind the audience that there are other players to keep track of. Yeah. Do you feel like it serves a real purpose? I mean, it kind of just, it really is just that cutaway scene showing like, oh, by the way, don't forget that these guys are players on the field. I mean, in a way, you kind of need it because Uh like it is build up to what happens at the very end right but yeah it does feel like it kind of breaks the flu to have it it feels like it breaks the tension and it feels unnecessary like we really don't care about Welk and Neve I feel like if we did care about Welk and Neve at this point we would want this chapter but I don't care about either of them I hate them both and I, it's not even, I don't even hate them both. I feel like they're so fucking ineffective. <laughs> anyway, moving mm. on, moving on. Could talk about that forever. The transition from Adam's last words to this chapter strike me though. And maybe it's the removed nature of them or the hint of disregard and malice. Mm-hmm. And Welk thinks the combination of the garlic odor and cracker chewing was incredibly aggravating. My coworkers at me during lunch. (laughs) Also, I love how hummus is the top of Welk's list of most offensive things. Because if it had been guacamole, he would have been fine with it. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) I'm 
thinking of times when I have had offensive stuff at lunch. I was once asked to not bring back a specific kind of frozen dinner. Oh, really? There was at one point a banned foods list at work because it's such a small office that Uh you microwave like something and it's like, whoo, the whole office smells. Mm. Anyways, so I was thinking... Disregarding our lunch habits, guys. (laughs) Back to the episode. Woke annoys me so much. Yeah. I hate him so much. Like, seriously. You're tied up, likely about to be murdered, and you're worried about the smell of garlic and crumbs in your car? Right. It's not enough that I should have to put up with a shitty car, Woke thought. Now I'm going to die in it. Ugh. Yeah. It's like... Crying out loud. Yeah. And Adam is so happy to have a shitbox later. Uh-huh. It's all about perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's hilarious that the knives did not mean murder, but the rubber gloves did. Uh-huh. Maybe Welk is wishing he had thought ahead when whacking his best friend. I don't know. Like, <sighs> preparation. Welk was not much for postulation. You think? The most <laughs> self-aware thing you've ever admitted. Uh-huh. <laughs> And his fate was probably meant to be the same as Cherny's seven years earlier. And I cannot muster any sympathy. Yeah, my comment was simply, fucker. (laughs) And then a sacrifice with his blood seeping down through the earth until it reached a sleeping ley line. Mm -hmm. Very evocative. Yeah, it is. And he thinks, to add insult to injury, Neve was listening to trance nature sound CDs. Now Neve sounds like my mom. (laughs) Eating hummus and crackers and listening to trance nature sounds. It's so funny again. Mm -hmm. His death on the ley line would, Welk thought, have a sort of circularity to it. It would, and cycles are important. Right. And too bad, because you started it. Yep. Yeah. But Welk didn't care for a circularity. He cared for his lost car, his lost respect. Welk only cares about Welk. Yeah, and respect is also what Neve is supposedly seeking. Mm-hmm. He cared for languages dead long enough that they wouldn't change on him. Aha! An actual insight into Welk. Mm-hmm. He hates change and has been traumatized by the abruptness of it in the past. Right. He cared for the guacamole. Me too, man. <laughs> Me too. Guacamole is the best. It I love avocado. It's so fucking good. And also, Neve hadn't tied him tightly enough. And it's sort of another cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. So on to chapter 41, which is a Blue Adam POV chapter. Blue retreats to her beech tree in the backyard where Adam finds her. After some talk of kissing and tarot cards, Blue gives Adam the advice, keep being brave. Later that night, Adam wakes to everything he's lost and figures he doesn't have much else to lose, so he packs up and heads out to find Welk before Welk can find Cabeswater. Yep. So this chapter shares a POV between Blue and Adam, and why do you think that the POV is shared here, and what ties them together? Hmm. Why wouldn't they be two separate chapters? Not sure. Yeah, and in the timeline, this is later in that afternoon and Saturday night. Mm-hmm. So it's really short timeline. Mm-hmm. Blue returns home to try to get some homework done, but she found herself spending less time solving for X and more time solving for Noah or Gansey or Adam. 
And I can see how stuff could be distracting. Yeah. And Persephone said you were out here, says Adam, again, talking about Persephone. Mm -hmm. He just hung there at the edge of the shadow. Adam connects with Persephone so early, even here. Also, the shadow is definitely a representation of how Adam is feeling inside right now. Mm -hmm. Blue glances over her shoulder to make certain that the tree hid them from the house. Don't you think they know, Blue? Even if they can't see you, one of them at least knows that he's out there, and that's mostly a guarantee that they all know. Yeah, absolutely. Blue thought about saying, I'm so sorry about your dad, but instead she just stretched out a hand toward him. Adam gave an unsteady sigh of the sort she could see from six feet away. Wordlessly, he sat beside her and then laid his head on her lap, his face in his arms. This... This is exactly what Adam needs right now Mm -hmm. and what his friends should be giving him. And I'm like, Blue, give Gansey tips because this this is what he needs. And your hair is the color of dirt, Blue tells Adam. And so I actually went online... And I looked for <laughs> Google. Google, please tell me the color of dirt in Virginia. <laughs> and I found a video of soil judging in Virginia. Don't okay. ask me. I, I'll post the video. Where it's this very sort of tawny clay color. But I also got in touch with a friend of mine who lives in the Shenandoah Valley. Okay. Very close to where Maggie Mm -hmm. does. And I said, will you please take a picture of the dirt for me? (laughs) She's like... Yes, after I take a nap. So so she took pictures and it is this like almost mahogany red color. And I'm like, okay. So I kind of always pictured it sort of between that tawny sand gold Mm. color with a little bit of the mahogany red in there. So definitively mahogany red in the Shenandoah Valley. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Since the color of Adam's hair is always a question. And then Blue says, mine should be that color, too, because Adam says that it knows where it came from. His hair knows where it came from. But Blue is, after all, a tree, and trees Uh come from dirt. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I wonder if Blue is consciously bringing up that Adam's hair is the color of dirt thing, so she can give him that mine should be the same color then line Mm -hmm. to gently remind him that he has nothing to be ashamed of. She's like, I'm not from the rich boy stock either. Right. She's relating. Right. Mm -hmm. Adam says, sometimes I'm afraid he'll never really understand me. And from Blue's perspective, this is probably about Adam's father. Mm -hmm. But from the reader's perspective, this is a comment about Gansey and their friendship. Yeah. And Blue says, I'm going to say this once and then be done with it. I think you're awfully brave. And Mm -hmm. I concur. Yeah. Yeah. And a car whirred through the neighborhood. Could it be Neven Welk? Probably not. I mean, you know, it's it's possible. The wind moved through the beech leaves, turning them upside down in a way that meant rain later. Mm -hmm. So I thought this... I have heard that one. You have? Mm -hmm. So I thought this was interesting, and we're going to go ahead and do a deep dive on sort of folkloric traditions of weather predictions. And this is just for fun, just like so many of our deep dives. It's Mm -hmm. not super serious, but this chapter references the leaves flipping over in a way that predicts rain. When the leaves show their undersides be very sure that rain betides mm-hmm. and so I looked this up and I saw two minds on this as with most things folkloric but I really liked this explanation of why it actually might work 
The old wives' tale of leaves flipping upside down, showing their light-colored bottoms flickering in the breeze, is based on actual biological fact. The air temperature and wind alter significantly before an approaching storm. So when leaves curl up, which is a direct reaction from the high level of humidity and a quick change in wind direction, rain is definitely not far away. Mm -hmm. Under the same principle of dropping air pressure, the lower the leaves turn on the tree, the more severe the storm will be, meaning that if only the tops of the trees is affected, there's less chance of the rainfall being too severe. And as sort of mentioned above, this gives some trees a silvery look before rain as the undersides of the leaves are usually a lighter color than the tops okay, of the leaves. Okay, that makes sense. So I wanted to start out with a bit of weather prediction that comes from my papal, my paternal grandfather. And he would always tell us about the rain crew and how it's called predicted rain. And while it almost certainly confirmation bias, it actually seemed to be a good predictor. My little cousin would demand to go inside when he heard one, even at like, you know, five or six. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and uh, on more than one occasion, he was right to do so because it would just start pouring the rain about right. 10 minutes later. So the rain crow is not actually a crow. Sorry, Navita. Yeah. <laughs> in doing research, I found that the rain crow is a common name in the South and Appalachia for a yellow-billed cuckoo or a black-billed cuckoo. Mm-hmm. And I listened to the calls of both these birds and I put links in the show notes. Right. And while the yellow-billed cuckoo sounds from familiar what actually sounds the most like i remember is a morning dove Mm, interesting and i wanted to say it may not be confirmation bias because a drop in barometric pressure which precedes rain makes animals and humans alike very restless Mm -hmm. physicist and professor george freer author of weather proverbs tested the scientific validity of more than 400 sayings rhymes and poems handed down by weather watchers Mm -hmm. there are several related proverbs that cite calling ravens, cackling geese, hooting owls, braying donkeys, and restless pigs as still other zoological harbingers of rain. Interesting. So, and this is a quote from an article, as the barometric pressure rises or drops, the body adjusts internally. This mechanism keeps the body from collapsing or exploding in reaction to changes in external pressure. When barometric pressure falls, Gases dissolved in bodily fluids are released as bubbles. This would be the bends. These bubbles can irritate nerve impulses, particularly in joints and wounds, causing aches, itching, and other forms of low-grade pain, which is also why joints may ache with the change in the weather. Mm -hmm. So both humans and animals may be irritable, restless, and noisy when a storm is coming. Interesting. So another common type of weather prediction I grew up with is looking at woolly worms. Woolly worms are the caterpillar stage of the Isabella tiger moth. They're very fuzzy and black on both ends with a brown band in the middle. And the idea is you look at the woolly worms in the fall and they'll Mm -hmm. tell you what the weather is going to be like over the winter. The thinner the brown band, the harsher the winter will be. Right. And this is one of the big ones here in the Pacific Northwest as well, except I've always heard them called woolly bears. Huh. Mind out of the gutter. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently in 1948, Dr. C.H. Curran, curator of insects at the American Museum of Natural History in New York City, collected woolly bear caterpillars at Bear Mountain State Park, which was like an hour outside of the city. Okay. He determined the average number of reddish-brown segments and forecast the coming winter weather through a reporter friend at the New York Herald Tribune. So okay. according to the Old Farmer's Almanac, 
Dr. Curran's experiment, which he continued over the next eight years, attempted to prove scientifically a weather rule of thumb that was as old as the hills around Bear Mountain. The resulting publicity made the woolly worm the most recognizable caterpillar in North America. (laughs) But Curran was under no scientific illusion. He knew that his data samples were small. Although the experiments legitimized folklore to some, they were simply an excuse for having fun. Mm -hmm. Curran, his wife, and their group of friends escaped the city to see the foliage each fall, calling themselves the original society of the friends of the woolly bear. (laughs) That's awesome. Which, let me tell you, I've had worse names for my groups of friends. (laughs) Sad Dump Truck Club is one of them. (laughs) Table nine for me. Table nine? All right. If anything, the woolly bear indicates a previous mild spring and summer with lots of foraging. Because here's a scientific explanation about the bands on the woolly bear. Okay. The better the growing season is, the bigger it will grow. This results in narrower red-orange bands in the middle because they grow at the ends. Thus, the width of the banding is an indicator of the current or past season's growth rather than an indicator of the severity of the upcoming winter. Interesting. Also, the coloring indicates the age of the woolly bear caterpillar. The caterpillars shed their skin or molt six times before reaching adult size. With each successive molt, their colors change, becoming less black and more reddish. Interesting. Yeah. I had no idea. Also, their blood, blood, I'm putting that in quote, is basically antifreeze. Huh. And so they'll freeze over the winter and reemerge in the spring. I've often wondered what happens to bugs in the winter. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So yet another thing that I heard a lot growing up was that if you see a halo around the moon on a winter night, it predicts snow. And this one actually has a really good scientific basis behind of it. And it's a phenomenon that is caused by the refraction, reflection, and dispersion of light through ice particles suspended within thin, wispy, high-altitude cirrus or cirrus stratus clouds. Mm -hmm. In other words, the halo is caused by ice crystals and the clouds working like prisms. It's basically like a rainbow. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's also called a moonbow. And if you look at them, you can sometimes see like pale rainbow colors. Right. And usually it's just a few, like the cooler colors of the spectrum. Uh One rhyme I've heard is when halo rings the moon or sun, rain's approaching on the run. Hmm. So indicating a rain. Interesting. Also, that ring around the sun can include what is called a sun dog or more accurately sun dogs. Mm-hmm. Which will always and only ever be a creepy Stephen King short story to me. <laughs> okay, I haven't read that one. Oh, God. It's basically two bright spots in the halo flanking the sun to either side. And interestingly, this has been used to presage epic events unrelated to weather. Okay. Like the prelude to the Battle of Mortimer's Cross in Hertfordshire, mm-hmm. England in 1461, which was an event in the Wars of the Roses. Okay. It's supposed to have involved the of a halo display with three sons. Okay. The Yorkist commander, later Edward IV of England, convinced his initially frightened troops that it represented the three sons of the Duke of York, and Edward's troops won a decisive victory. Okay. The event was dramatized by William Shakespeare in King Henry VI, Part Three, and by Sharon K. Penman in The Sun in Splendor. Okay. 
So the last one I can think of is a favorite of my mom's. Mm -hmm. My mom has told me for as long as I can remember that willow leaves predict the last snow. The last snow of the year will come just after the willow leaves are fully out, about two inches long. Mm -hmm. Again, confirmation bias, but it always seemed to be the case. Of course, willows are one of the earliest trees to leaf out in the spring, so the timing works out. It just so happens that winter is ending just about the time the willows have leafed out. Right. And a plant-based one for the Pacific Northwest has to do with the rowan or the mountain ash. Mm -hmm. A popular and more local winter weather precursor is the idea that bountiful mountain ash berry bushes found in the Pacific Northwest is a sure sign the coming snow will be heavy. Okay. Biologically speaking, there isn't a way for the rowan tree to know the snowpack in the Cascades will be high. Mm -hmm. A high berry yield only means the growing season was long. Mm -hmm. On the years you see plenty of mountain ash berries, you can be confident that the summer has been warm and wet but don't put any confidence in the idea that the coming winter will see more snow than normal and then of course the most famous bit of weather forecasting folklore in the united states groundhog day (laughs) february 2nd lays between the winter solstice and spring equinox and it is a day of many celebrations including in bulk and candlemas yay which means hey it's old poetry time awesome navita and her old poetry yay I'm a nerd. And that's why I love you. (laughs) Right. As the light grows longer, the cold grows stronger. If candle mass be fair and bright, winter will have another flight. If candle mass be cold and snow, winter will be gone and not come again. A farmer should on Candlemas Day have half his corn and half his hay. On Candlemas Day, if thorns hang a drop, you can be sure of a good pea crop. Okay. So during the Middle Ages, there was a belief that animals interrupted their hibernation to appear on this day. Mm -hmm. If the day was sunny and the animals saw its shadow, six more weeks of winter weather remained. If, however, the day was cloudy, it was a sign that the weather during the following weeks would be mild, leading to an early spring. Mm -hmm. And Groundhog Day was the result of German immigrants to the United States carrying the legend with them. And in Pennsylvania, the groundhog came to be substituted for the badger. North America's most famous groundhog is Puxatawney Phil. Mm -hmm. The focal point of the oldest and largest annual Groundhog Day celebration, which has been held in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, every year since 1886. (laughs) Okay. What kind of creeps me out is that members of Phil's inner circle claim that he is now 130 years old, (laughs) thanks to a magical life-extending serum they feed him each year. (laughs) Okay. And that his predictions are 100% accurate. However, an assessment of the records indicates a correlation of less than 40%. So basically, reverse what you see. And you're more likely to... Yes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And... Also, wouldn't it be local? Like To that particular... Yes. Rather than the whole United States. Yes, yes, yes. Let's not get logical. A (laughs) 130-year-old groundhog. All right? I believe it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm teasing. All right. So the scientific basis on groundhogs emerging, whether or not a groundhog does or does not emerge, is thought to be related to the amount of fat it was able to store before going into hibernation. Uh So much like the woolly bear and the mountain ash... It has far more to do with the season that is already past versus the season yet to come. Right. I always feel sorry for the poor groundhog because I just drag it out and it just looks like... 
Yeah. I mean, leave the poor guy alone. <laughs> also, did you know that the animal that a lot of places used to use was a hedgehog? Yes. Yes. And I guess I didn't put the types of animals that would hibernate, but a hedgehog, mm-hmm. badger, bears, all of those were actually right. the original forecasters of right. weather. Yeah. The, the zoo actually brings out a hedgehog on Groundhog Day. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of the last and most famous one is the red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. Mm-hmm. And the reason I like this is because it's pretty ancient. It's been around since Aristotle's pupil, Theophrastus of Aresus, who coined the actual phrase. But the first record of the aphorism is in the Bible, apparently, Matthew 16, 2-3. Christ said, when it is evening, ye say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and lowering. Mm-hmm. Shakespeare also wrote, a red morn that ever yet betokened, wreck to the seaman, tempest to the field. And basically, yeah. it has to do with the amount of particulates that are in the air and whether or not the wind is blowing from the east or the west and all mm-hmm. of these things. Yes, it actually does have some basis in fact and okay. it's stuck around for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Which I find pretty cool. That is cool. All right. Let's get back to it. So Adam wants to kiss Blue. And Blue thinks to herself, it wasn't supposed to be a kiss at all. But if it had, it definitely shouldn't be like this. Yeah, and Adam says he'd like to kiss Blue, young or not. And he's seeking comfort. And Blue Mm. recognizes that it's not about her, but about how he's feeling right now. I think I've finally pinpointed why I was so harsh with Blue a few episodes ago. Mm -hmm. Blue says, there's still worse than what you've got. Which, ugh, thanks, Gansy. I know she's talking about the possibility of death by murder lips. (laughs) But from the side that doesn't know about murder lips, it sounds like the old other people have it worse than you do adage. And it's just, again, the worst thing to say. She wondered what it would have been like to kiss this hungry, desolate boy. That echoes the beautiful quote from chapter 39 of The Raven King. They were both hungry animals, but Adam had been starving for far longer. Mm. I'm kind of sad for both Adam and Blue here. Mm-hmm. Because Blue wants to be there for him, but she knows that like that's not the way. So Adam looks to Blue for advice. Under the pretense of saying, he forgets how Mora told him he's supposed to solve his problem. Right. He says, at the reading, the choice I couldn't make, mm-hmm. which was that two of swords choice between two Blue's- different people, mm-hmm. a brother and a father. Mm-hmm. Blue sighed. This is what all this was really about. And she had known it all along, even if he hadn't. It's that feeling in her that I feel sad about because, mm-hmm. yeah. But I don't really think that it was all about that. No, for me... I mean, I truly believe that Adam is interested in Blue Mm -hmm. and he would be going to her for comfort, especially because she is removed from what happened previously. Mm -hmm. And she reminds him that he has to make a third option and gently teases him to bring a notebook next time so he remembers. Yeah. And I I don't know that Adam's actually forgotten, but... Mm -hmm. Now he looked at her, but she wasn't sure he was really looking at her. And again, he's distant and unseeing. Yeah, this he's going through some stuff right now. Yeah. I mean, 
her fingers and skin longed for the boy she'd held hands with days before but he didn't seem to be the boy standing before her and he absolutely is not right and i don't know what changes him more what happened shortly before this or cave's water i mean i really do think it was what happened before this mm. cave's water it's the natural progression mm. of the action that happened the night before right adam's hastily constructed smile was thin enough to break and it reminds me of the thing was ronan knew what a face looked like just before it was about to break he'd seen it in the mirror often enough adam had fracture lines all over him Mm -hmm. and adam asks so you think i should listen to your mom and blue says you should listen to me keep being brave and i'm like that's good advice blue and it's true they really do care about each other even if it's not going to end up being a romantic relationship right and then we switch to an adam pov there was blood everywhere It would make sense for Adam to dream this right now with Gansey dying after the fight he and Gansey had just had. Mm -hmm. His subconscious is dredging up his anger and fear. Gansey, who convulsed in the dirt. The convulsions imply wasps to me. Mm -hmm. But how could wasps ever be Adam's fault? Right. And this dream, I'm guessing it's his vision from the nightmare tree. Correct. And also, as you said before, it mirrors the scene in the church later. Correct. Yeah. He felt like he levitated, too little light, too much space overhead, no sound of his breath coming back at him from the walls. So desolate and so disconnected. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh my God, you poor kid. It's homesickness for a place that was never really a home. Yeah, logically, Adam knew that he had Stockholm Syndrome, considered it a kindness when his father didn't hit him. He knew the damage went deeper than any bruise. He would endlessly dissect his reactions, doubt his emotions. He is so shut down. He's never been loved or cared for or supported. And those people who were supposed to do so were the ones who crushed his spirit. And I just don't get the people who say Adam is whiny and undeserving. Me neither. Yeah. And the part where he's worried about whether or not he's going to hurt his own kids. Yes. This hits so deep, and he's such a good dad to Opal. Mm -hmm. So loving and supportive. He tries so hard to relate to her in a way that she needs. It's just like, fuck. Mm -hmm. All he could think was, my mother will never speak to me again. I'm homeless. And this line just hurts so much. Yeah, this child, this fucking child, he's a 17-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. He should not be dealing with this. Welk was out there, and he'd been searching for this for even longer than Gansey. Adam doesn't know this, but this isn't really true, because Welk only actually picked the search back up a few days ago. Right. And I don't think he searched all that long before. And it was so casual when he was with Noah. Like, they did it as a lark. It wasn't super serious. But Adam thinks, surely, left to his own devices, he'd find what he wanted sooner than they would. No, he won't. Welk is super incompetent. <laughs> yep. And yet Adam still decides he has to wake the ley line and beat him to it. Yeah. Adam thinks of a list of things that have changed the course of his life. The last time he was hit by his father, he and Gansey becoming friends, the shaved head boy in the store, and Ronan standing up for him. Mm-hmm. And the list of things Adam wants is so simple and basic, it just breaks my heart. Everyone else wants Glendower for something big. Adam just wants his basic needs met, most of them. Right. Oh, 
cheers. Yeah. Right now, Adam wants to survive. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting that he wishes now that he had hit his father himself. And then he thinks he wants to go home, to go home, to go home. And Adam thinks there just wasn't a way that he would put Gansey in peril. He's justifying it to himself as protecting Gansey. Mm -hmm. Gansey could afford to wait. Adam couldn't. It somehow reminds me of the saying, I'm too poor to pay attention. Right. <laughs> and Gansey can afford to wait, both monetarily and emotionally. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have that list of wants that Adam does. He doesn't need to fight to survive. Mm -hmm. It's not even wants, it's needs. Yeah. Like, Very basic. Mm -hmm. Maslow's hierarchy. Adam's like at the bottom of the pyramid right yeah. now. Adam starts packing, unsure what he will need, and slides the gun out, a black, sinister shape on the floorboards. It's also described like the demon. Yeah. It was Adam's father's gun, and though he wasn't sure his father would ever use it on his mother, he wasn't taking the chance. Poor kid. It's like, Gansey takes a lot of responsibility he doesn't need to, mm -hmm. and Adam just has it thrust upon him from everywhere. Right. And Gansey tells Adam he has to get rid of the gun, maybe he can bury it, and Adam says, and have some kid find it? Mm -hmm. It's like some kid like you, Adam? Yeah. Adam didn't want to bring it along with him tonight, not really, but he didn't know what he'd need to sacrifice. And that just gives me chills. Yeah. This is a really tough question because we don't see it on the page. But would Adam at all be thinking of killing himself? I think it's definitely crossed his mind. Like if that's what he feels like needs to be done. Yeah. So Noah stood directly in front of him. Hollow eyes on level with Adam's eyes. Smashed cheek on level with Adam's ruined ear. Breathless mouth inches from Adam's sucked in breath. This one gives me goosebumps mm -hmm. because it's like one sacrifice face to face with the other. Yes. My note was it's the mirror between the two sacrifices. Uh-huh. Without Blue there to make him stronger, without Gansey there to make him human, without Ronan there to make him belong, Noah was a frightening thing. And that's just powerful. Yeah. It also feels very much like this could be something Adam is saying about himself. Mm -hmm. All of these things are Adam trying to feel human. Yeah. Noah says, don't throw it away. Yeah. And this is instance number two in the books of that line. Mm -hmm. I'm not betraying him, Adam thought. You are. We're still doing this together. You're not. Only when I come back, we'll be equals. You already were. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but will you, though? <laughs> yeah. I don't know that they are equals when he comes back. Mm -hmm. Adam thinking of Gansey as his friend as he walks past the sleeping form of Gansey mm -hmm. makes my heart clench. Mm -hmm. And Adam leaving by himself here makes me almost as mad as Gansey leaving by himself in the Raven King. <laughs> and it brought me to a revelation. So Adam leaves on his own in the Raven Boys. Ronan mm -hmm. is on his own in the Dream Thieves. Blue has to be on her own to save her parents in Blue Lily Lily Blue. Mm -hmm. And Gansey leaves for Glendower by himself, although he finds Henry mm -hmm. in the Raven King. Yeah, they all have to be... They all have to be on their own mm -hmm. to make that final step. As he left, the only sound he heard was the whisper of the night wind through the trees of Henrietta. That's such good foreshadowing because cave's water is whispers. Yeah, my note was cave's water calls. Mm -hmm. 
All right, chapter 42. It's a Gansey POV. Gansey wakes in the middle of the night and finds that Adam is gone, taking the Camaro and possibly whatever was left of Gansey's heart. Time is circular, and it seems this night will be replayed more than once. Mm -hmm. So Gansey wakes up to what he thinks is the moon shining in his eyes, but as he awakes, he realizes it was light of some kind, but not the moon. Yeah, this is the second time that Gansey wakes up in the middle of the night with the moon on his face. The first being page 86. Mm -hmm. Gansey woke in the night to find the moon full on his face. Mm -hmm. It's a direct repeat. And because I'm that kind of nerd, I looked at a moon chart for 2012 to see if the moon phases lined up. Sadly, they do not. (laughs) (laughs) The light that woke him is probably the headlights of the Camaro, although I find it interesting that it's described as something like a light. And then Noah is mentioned directly afterwards. Right. The hair on the back of his neck rose as well. The cloud of his breath hung in the suddenly cold air in front of his mouth. Noah's voice said, Adam. Okay, that's creepy as all get out, and I don't know that I can handle a ghost best friend. Yeah. (laughs) Gansey checks in Noah's room and finds Adam missing. He hadn't meant to leave for good. Not everything's packed. Gansey then wakes Ronan for Adam, which is a mirror for the time when he woke Adam Adam for Ronan. Mm -hmm. This is also that third time we see him going into Ronan's room in the middle of the night. Mm Mm-hmm. Outside, the rain misted down, a fine spray that just made halos around the distant house lights. I like the feel of this description, though I think I may have lived in the Pacific Northwest too long because this feels wintry to me. Mm-hmm. But spring is the rainy season in Appalachia. Interesting. Gansey looks outside as described. Somehow he already knew what he'd find, but still the reality was a jolt. Adam has hotwired the Camaro, which of course he knows how, and of mm-hmm. course it would be the easier than the BMW. Yeah. And the roar of the engine starting was probably what had woken Gansey in the first place. Probably, but like as we mentioned before, what he thought was moonlight could have been the headlights from the car. The car, yeah. The moonlight merely a memory, he says, or he thinks. It seems to be a reference to time being circular. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have hurt if it was Ronin, wouldn't it? Yeah. This was the sort of thing he'd expect from Ronin. And here we're teased the plot of the dream thieves. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it does hurt from Ronin, as we discover later. Yep. In about, oh... Two episodes. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I did tell him, right? I did say that we were to wait. It's not that he didn't understand me. Gansey, what are you really mad about here? I think Adam was right and you want all your ducks in a row. Mm -hmm. Full control over everything. Neither of them are listening to each other in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Something kept fracturing inside of him, Gansey thinks. Adam's fracture lines could be referenced again here, or maybe it's just the acknowledgement that they are all fractured and broken. Mm -hmm. And then saying makes it so, Adam's gone to wake the ley line. Mm -hmm. So, chapter 43 is a blue point of view chapter. Mora visits with her daughter in Blue's room, and the air is cleared a little between them. Blue hears more about how her mother and father met, and how sometimes the 300 Foxway ladies are more specific than they'd like. It comes down in the end to Mora recognizing that Blue is tied up in this, and the best Mora can do is try to warn her of the fallout. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like the opening of this chapter mirrors and is almost a reversal of the opening of the last chapter. Right. Because Blue is up already, but Mora at least puts up a pretense of expecting her to be asleep. And the light is real and in the room rather than being like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the last time this happened to Gansey, the immediately following chapter is Blue also waking up. Yeah, that's true. And it being the dark and shadowy room, etc. Right. Mm-hmm. Moira comes in and sits on Blue's bed, and Blue thinks there's nothing unfamiliar about this quiet between them. And this feels like home to me because I also spent hours growing up just sitting near my mom quietly as we read, mm, just read mm. together. Yeah, Mora and Blue are really lovely together. Mm. They're so comfortable. And I absolutely love the phrase, Mora was looking as soft as a poem in the dim light that Blue uses to describe her mom. Mm-hmm. And then, now that Blue is human-sized... And I wrote, now that Blue is (laughs) hobbit-sized... Oh, it's like a kitten. (laughs) I wish that I could show you guys the faces I am making at Navita right now. Oh, so non-threatening. I'm... (laughs) <laughs> I put that in okay, there. Okay, so you know how we promised no gray man violence? There's about to be gray man violence. <laughs> I 100% put that in there knowing you'd be pissed <laughs> Just a reminder, Blue and I are the exact same heights. <laughs> All right. (laughs) So, after a few moments of fretting, does Mora know everything about what's unfolding? I don't know that she knows everything. Mm -hmm. It would be kind of difficult for her to know everything. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And the room was lit to a dim green, blue in her plantness. Right. (laughs) And I always wanted to do something to my room like Blue has done to hers, but with an animal theme instead of plants. Yeah, it wasn't until this read through that I realized that Blue has surrounded herself with a literal representation of a forest. Uh-huh. Blue had pasted canvas trees decorated with collaged and found paper leaves, and she glued dried flowers over the entirety of her closet door. Mm-hmm. It seems very caves watery to me. And Blue had lived here the entire 16 years of her life. Blue is 16. Here it is. Once again in text, <laughs> she starts out at 16. God. We skip a year. I know. Fucking magic. It's fucking magic. <laughs> so Mora tries to use Santa Claus as an explanation. <laughs> As an explanation of, like, her thought process behind keeping Blue out of the loop. And Blue says, Mom, I found you and Kala wrapping my presents when I was, like, six. (laughs) And it's like, Mora's small parenting fails. Yeah. It was a metaphor, Blue. It's probably the most mom thing Mora has ever said, in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Blue calls her father Butternut. And Mora glowered at the door as if Kala stood behind it. And I can so picture that. Yeah. And then Blue says, if you'd been the one to tell me about him, then I wouldn't be using what Kala told me. And she has a point. Yeah, this is so much like, if you don't teach me at home, I'm going to have to learn it on the streets. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then, I didn't raise you to be judgmental. Well, sure you did. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Artemis is such a weird name to me in reference to a male person. And though I understand it can be, because it's Mm -hmm. always the goddess of the moon or the hunt in my mind. And, or the name of my cat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Artemis in Greek religion, the goddess of wild animals, the hunt, and vegetation, and of chastity and childbirth. She was identified by the Romans with Diana. Artemis was the daughter of Zeus and Leto and the twin sister of Apollo. Mm -hmm. So Blue was wondering if it was a coincidence that there was so much Latin in her life at the moment. Coincidence? I think not. (laughs) Gainsey was beginning to rub off on her because coincidences no longer seemed so coincidental. Mm -hmm. So Mora starts to explain and says that Kella, Persephone, and I were messing around with things we probably shouldn't have been messing around with. And Blue asks, drugs? No, rituals. Are you messing around with drugs? No, but maybe rituals. Drugs might be better. I'm not interested in them. Their effects are proven. <laughs> also, what is with Mora trying to be a parent all of a sudden? Yeah. <laughs> I adore the fact that drugs might be better than rituals uh-huh. from a parent perspective. And damn it, Steve Otter, please reference our rant regarding no prequels for the Foxway ladies. Yes, I went. Ugh. Yeah. Mora lays on the bed and Blue notes that she had copied a poem onto the ceiling just above her. This is the second time Mora is referenced with poetry, and I'm starting to wonder if it might be a hint towards the gray man. Possibly. Mora explains that she thinks Artemis was trapped in caves water, and a ritual they did released him. Although she wouldn't have known about caves water. Right. But yes. And Blue's like, you didn't ask? And Mora says, we didn't have that kind of relationship. And Blue says, I don't want to know what sort it was if it didn't involve talking. And I'm like, yeah, me neither. That's a valid concern. Yeah. (laughs) And I wonder why Mora was so able to accept Artemis unquestioning. It's like magic akin to fake glamour. I just don't get it. Yeah. Kala also seems to think that Mora lost her head in this relationship, and it seems that Mora is generally a very practical person, much like Blue herself. Right. She says, people bothered him. He thought we should be more concerned with the world around us. Artemis is shown here to be sensitive and anxious, which he Mm -hmm. is later as well. Blue is a little distressed to see the unsteady press of Mora's lips. Mm Mm-hmm. And Mora says, you're a lot like him. Well, she's a lot like him as Mora describes him, not like we actually see him later. Mm-hmm. Her tree light side is what she inherits from him. Right. There's a big cognitive dissonance, which we've touched on briefly, between Mora's memories and the reality we get to see later. Mm-hmm. He would have liked to see your room with all the shit you put on the walls. Gee, thanks. Mm-hmm. And I totally get the parents trying to compliment and just not understanding you at all. Yeah, I personally thought this was a hilarious comment on their relationship. <laughs> uh-huh. You're a very strange child. Mirrors. Half human, half tear. Mm -hmm. And then Mora says, I'm not exactly sure we didn't accidentally do another ritual where you being born was the final bit. It might have gotten him stuck back there. Mm -hmm. And this feels right to me even before the confirmation. Right. 
I never thought it would get weird like it has. It's really odd that Maura didn't know. Or was she just ignoring it? Mm -hmm. And footsteps move softly in the hallway. Seems like Persephone wanting to be heard in order not to startle the other two in the room. Maura sighed and looked down at her lap as if she'd been expecting this. Mm -hmm. In either three or seven minutes, Persephone said, Blue's Raven boys are going to pull down the street and sit in front of the house while they try to find a way to convince her to sneak out with them. Mm-hmm. Wow, three and seven at the same time. Right, I noted it too. Mm-hmm. That seems awfully specific, Blue says. Sometimes Persephone Kala and I are very good with specifics. Only sometimes, Persephone echoed. More and more often, it seems. And Persephone saying this a little sadly makes me wonder if she's seen her own death. Mm-hmm. Things are changing. Reminds me of the something starting. Right. And then Kala appears saying Neve has scuttled the car, which is an absolutely amazing word used to describe someone deliberately sinking a ship. Mm-hmm. And Mora again looks to her lieutenants for confirmation. And Persephone says, in essence, you know, I can't tell you we're wrong. Mm-hmm. And Mora says, I hope you know how big this thing is, Blue. Blue said, I have an inkling. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's the end of all the chapters. <laughs> Woohoo! Woohoo! Made it through. Shannon, do you have a most valuable character? I'm going to say Noah. Noah. All right. That is not who I have. All right. Who do you have? Give, give your reason. Just because this is another set of chapters where Noah is kind of almost working behind the scenes to keep things rolling. Uh-huh. Like, he lets Blue know what's going on. He's the one who wakes Gansey to, like, let Gansey know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that Adam is gone. In a lot of similar ways, my NBC for almost the same reasons. Okay. I pick Adam. Ah. Because even though he is incredibly sort of disconnected, mm-hmm. he is still going to drive the story into the next place that it yeah. needs to go. Mm-hmm. He is dealing with the fallout of everything that happened in the last couple of chapters in the last episode right it's almost like he's working in the background of the scenes Mm -hmm. even though we have a couple of adam pov chapters it's like very sort of brief Mm -hmm. but it's like you can see adam's brain ticking 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 forward and that ticking forward it's what's gonna ultimately take him to the next level and what's right. ultimately gonna take the story to the next level mm-hmm. and Noah working behind the scenes is great but he's like working behind the scenes to propel Adam's story that's true so I would vote for Adam on this one I think you might be right okay awesome <laughs> yay and, because... and also like that's a really compelling argument and I don't think Adam has had it before and Noah Yes, Noah has had it before, but and I I really do think it's interesting because Adam is disconnected. Like, he's so Mm -hmm. disconnected from the other characters. Right. He is very much acting of his own accord, Mm -hmm. but all of his actions right now are what is going to take us into, like, the next three books. Right. So, yay, Adam! I'm excited. He needed it. Right. We didn't even have to fight over that one. (laughs) Well, the next thing would be a Maggie watch. And speaking of Adam, look, if you have not been on Tumblr for the great is Adam Parrish a daddy or a twink debate, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know there was a big debate. Yeah, well... So, yeah, (laughs) 
I don't even want to get into the backstory of it. I will just leave that where it is. Maggie has made some, like, her own thought. Okay, fine. I'll get into it. (laughs) Maggie posted something on Twitter that was basically, what's the worst thing that the fandom has ever done? And Maggie said, told me that they call Adam Parrish plant daddy. (laughs) And somebody else, somebody else posted like, oh no, Adam is a twink. And Maggie, I'm sorry, this is big news. And Maggie said he works three manual physical jobs. (laughs) Not that he's a daddy, but basically like he comes down on the twunk. (laughs) Shannon is just like so horrified right now. It is so priceless. (laughs) I wish this for video. <laughs> I am enjoying this I don't so even, much. I don't even know. <laughs> this is a hot topic this week. Is Adam Parrish a daddy or a twink? I don't even know what those terms mean. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to educate you. I'm not. I can't do that for you. I cannot. That is not a thing that I can do for you. But maybe we are going to talk about this like on the car ride home or something off air. Because, oh. I mean, I think I kind of know. Oh, my God. Okay, moving on. We're going to move on. We're just going to move right on. (sighs) Supportive shout outs. <laughs> so I'd like to say thank you to V for Van on Twitter for retweeting our audio posts. That is a huge help for us getting new listeners. Mm-hmm, we really, really appreciate those reposts and retweets of the audio links and things like that. And also, I just want to give a widespread thank you to all of the people who have newly joined us mm-hmm. because we are so happy to have you here. Absolutely. And then some final notes and announcements. As I said earlier, episode 15, which is next episode, is going to be our last episode of season one of the Raven Book. Boys. Woohoo! So we expect to take a few weeks off in order to prep for covering season two, which would be the Dream Thieves, mm-hmm. including picking deep dive topics and breaking the book into episodes that make sense. Mm-hmm. So we'd like to encourage folks to keep an eye on our social media if you're not already, because we will A, be announcing when we're coming back, and B, we're planning a few promotional things to kick off the beginning of season two. So that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Possibly some giveaways and things like that. And also, if you have a few extra minutes, now would be the perfect time to leave us a rating or review in your favorite podcast app iTunes is great because it has the most reach to new audiences, but Mm. honestly, anywhere you get your podcasts usually has some way to leave a rating. Mm -hmm. And if we get some new reviews, the momentum will help carry our numbers through into season two. Yep. So thank you so much for doing that. Thank you guys. We love you. Yeah. All right. And with that, thanks for joining us today. Our next episode will cover chapters 44 through the end of The Raven Boys. 
And instead of a deep dive next time, we are going to do some wrap up questions on our feelings about the Raven Boys. Maybe Mm -hmm. things that we noticed this time that we hadn't noticed before or just how we think about the book in general now that we've covered it and about season one of the Raven Girls and how that went. And our recording schedule is several weeks ahead of the release schedule. So again, follow us online for announcements, particularly with the hiatus so that we can tell you when we're coming back Mm -hmm. and feel free to send us your thoughts thoughts because we do love speaking to you i know that i've got a few people i need to reply to on tumblr (laughs) but we love having your contributions to the conversation with questions and theories and fan casts and all Mm -hmm. of that kind of stuff you can find us practically everywhere on social media at raven girls r-a-v-i-n-g-i-r-l-s on twitter at raven girls on tumblr at ravengirls.tumblr.com facebook at facebook.com slash raven girls and you can reach us directly at raven girls at gmail.com and you can reach me at substanceparty.tumblr.com or via gmail at substanceparty with all of the a's taken out s-u-b-s-t-n-c-e-p-r-t-y at gmail.com if we've referenced a post or article in the podcast we will do our very best to include the source links of those in the show notes the raven cycle and all affiliated properties are copyright maggie steve otter and scholastic incorporated we hope you've enjoyed today's episode and until next time Whoop whoop Raven Girls! (laughs) What? What did you say in the car? (laughs) What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Story of my life. (laughs) What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Just like beep. <laughs> See, the funny thing is, I didn't even remember why you said that. <laughs> because you're just sitting there going beep and making yourself cough <laughs> for no discernible reason. <laughs> How long have you been friends with me, Shannon? Saturday. <laughs> what did Navita do last Saturday? She went beep a lot, multiple times, and she wasn't even she wasn't even censoring herself. Nope. <sighs> nope. That would be more of a bleep 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 bleep. bleep. Maggie, watch. No. Oh, God. <laughs> We'll get there. (laughs) Will we? Will we? I don't know. Are we ever going to fucking start this episode? (laughs) There's our stinger. (laughs) All right. All right. Ready?